are listening to the podcast of Trinity Grace Church Williamsburg. Our longing is to see heaven come to earth in Brooklyn. For more information on our church, please visit tgcwilliamsburg.com. Teaching text today is from Isaiah 58. Shout it out loud. Do not hold back. Raise your voice like a trumpet. Declare to my people their rebellion and to the descendants of Jacob their sins. For day after day they seek me out. They seem eager to know my ways as if they were a nation that does what is right and has not forsaken the commands of its God. They ask me for just decisions and seem eager for God to come near them. Why have we fasted, they say, and you have not seen it? Why have we humbled ourselves and you have not noticed? Is not this the kind of fasting I have chosen, to lose the chains of injustice and untie the cords of the yoke, to set the oppressed free and break every yoke? Is it not to share your food with the hungry and provide the poor and wanderer with shelter? When you see the naked to clothe them, and not turn away from your own flesh and blood. Then your light will break forth like the dawn, and your healing will quickly appear. Then your righteousness will go before you, and the glory of the Lord will be your rear guard. Then you will call, and the Lord will answer. You will cry for help, and he will say, Here am I. If you do not, if you do away with the yoke of oppression, with the pointing finger and malicious talk, and if you spend yourselves in behalf of the hungry and satisfy the needs of the oppressed, then your light will rise in the darkness and your night will become like noonday. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning, church. It's good to be here back with you for uh, those of you uh, that I've seen already and know. And uh, too bad uh, Tyler is not here. He, he kind of runs away every time I have to preach. He said, let him have it, brother, but I'm not going to be there. <laughs> you know, I, I really uh, thank, thank God for Carlos and Tiffany and Adam for leading us in worship. Uh, what a beautiful time of worship to prepare our hearts to come before the Lord um, as a community of faith. And actually kind of prepare ourselves to hear from God, um, right, to, to, to speak to us. And I really um, uh, celebrate this church when they, when, when, uh, uh, Tyler told me that um, you guys are doing a series of several weeks on Isaiah 58. I said, these people have guts. Because this is not like an inspiring text. It's not, it's not, you know, it's the kind of thing that you just do like a one sermon quick and then you go to the next thing. And spending, and then having like several speakers that might run the risk of telling you the same thing over and over again because we don't, I don't know what the last guy spoke. He's probably said the same thing. So we're gonna like let you have it all the time. <laughs> but no, seriously, it is a, a um, it is one of the most rich. is one of my favorite texts in the Bible. So I'm, I'm running the risk of of like talking too much. 
It's one of the uh, uh, passages of scripture. Isaiah actually was one of the most uh, illuminating, uh, challenging, indicting uh, books of the Bible in my, in my Christian walk. Really shifted my, my walk with the Lord, uh, hearing the prophet and then hearing the prophets. And I really pray that that um, is the journey that you're in. Uh, so I, I, again, I celebrate you. I celebrate the leadership of the church for uh, just parking here for a while, right? So um, recently, I, I took a trip to, to El Paso, and um, the reason I went to El Paso was because, you know, as I hear in, uh, hearsay about all that's happening with the immigrants in the border, one of the things that I like to do is to experience it myself, to go in proximity, to whatever it is that's going on and kind of hear the stories from firsthand and, and, and let, it, let it sink in before I, I respond. Because my, I'm, as an eight in the Enneagram, and Tiffany were ta- and I were talking about that, like my immediate response is never good. <laughs> because I'm an angry dude, right? So I have, to like, I have to like, okay, this immigrant stuff is getting to me and like all white people are looking alike to me. So I got to go down to the border and process this stuff. And uh, I discovered a good friend of mine. His name is um, uh, uh, De Pasquale, Sammy. And he's leading an organization, actually a grassroots organization that connects churches to the immigrants that are asylum seekers. So I called up Sammy and says, you know, I'm going to take like four or five days and just show up, find a place for me. And, and then two of my coworkers joined me. They found out I'm coming, and so it was, we, had a, we got a credit trip. And I had the opportunity to uh, go to the border, see the, the, the fence that's there, and uh, interview border patrol agents, interview ICE people, uh, love them, got to love them, Jesus. <laughs> Praise the Lord for ICE. Um, uh, you know, interviewed uh, organizations and churches that, are caring for the asylum seekers, providing for them, protecting them, guiding them through their rights, um, helping them navigate uh, uh, a really, it's serious, it's, it's, it's a really broken, messed up, jacked up system. It's aggravated by the present policies and rhetoric, but it's a jacked up system. Immigration reform is a must. It's a must. And um, so as I, as I was interviewing, one of the um, amazing things was interviewing the families. Interviewing, uh, uh, it used to be that asylum seekers were mainly single young people, and now it's families. And so we had the opportunity to interview fathers with their teenage sons, mothers with their little babies. Um, we interviewed single men, single women. And some of those stories are just horrendous well-documented, horrendous stories. And then listening on, like, finally they arrive, because they don't have any means of communication. They just hear that my cousin is in the States and he's surviving and they try to make it. And then being treated, like, uh, many times, like animals, by the people that they thought that were gonna be receiving them. And so it was hard. It was so hard that I had to, like, decompress. And before I went to my next thing, um, I, I spent a whole day in a hotel just, just being quiet. Man. 
Sorry, I'm obviously not over it yet. But I had to be in the presence of the Lord and um, started reading psalms that to quiet my spirit. And actually the psalm that God used in my life was Psalm 10, which actually is David like pissed off at injustice. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, that's, that's the psalm. That's the psalm. I can tell God, what the heck? Because David did it. And, and it, was, it was difficult. Now, it was a sweet and sour and also a, a beautiful experience. Um, uh, the, the sweet and sour part, uh, you know, as I mentioned, it was really hard to hear about these stories. By the way, it was a few days before the shooting that happened in El Paso. So I got the opportunity to pray in the memorial for each one of the people that were um, uh, killed and, uh, in, that, in, that, in that incident and injured. We, we, it, was, it was a very emotional uh, thing. But the beautiful thing about it was to see the church being the church. So uh, one of the things that we've, we discovered were these churches that were actually not the churches that are on the radar. Our struggling churches uh, bo in both borders, both in, 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 uh, in, in El Paso and, and Juarez, because we went to both places. Like total, total remake, total redoing of their church. Like the pews became like places for people to sleep and, and the backyard of the church, like uh, immigration uh, counseling. And, and I mean, the office of the pastors becoming like bed bunks, and, uh, 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 bunk beds. By the way, I think in Spanish, any Spanish speakers in the room, you gotta help me because I make up words in English, okay? So if I say something really stupid, just shout it out and say, no, it's this. So, uh, I mean, it was like, oh, my gosh, the church being the hands and the feet, the light of the world, the hands and the feet of Jesus, uh, uh, the salt bringing life. It was like crazy. It was like, oh, my gosh, thank you, Jesus, for the church, common people. And one of the things that I noticed is that their commitment just kept growing as proximity to the need. And, and they, they were family. Like, they would take us through. And it was like family. It was, man, this is beautiful. But the, the sour part of it was also I saw the worst of the church as well. Because as much as uh, beautiful stories of the church being engaged was, was giving me a lot of life, it was I could count it in one hand. I can count them literally in one hand. The vast majority of churches that believe in God, that read the Bible, that are supposedly preaching the gospel every Sunday, they were not engaged at all. Actually, some of them were even complicit with what's, what was happening. Embracing the rhetoric of, of hate and, and, and discrimination and bias. Even Latino churches, for God's sake. Even Hispanic churches. Somehow, they learned. Calm down. Somehow, they learned a spirituality to be feeling good. The nearness of God, the warmth of God, the, the connection with God. And be totally oblivious or even complicit with one of the biggest injustices that is being committed in the United States right now. Somehow they learn that kind of spirituality. It's called spiritual deception, spiritual self-deception. Juan Stam, who's one of my mentors from a distance, he's a Latin American theologian in his commentary in the book of... Uh, one of the best commentaries in the book of Revelation. 
he wrote, uh, uh, he wrote this, a genuine spiritual encounter with the God of the Bible will eventually lead us to ask ourselves personally and collectively, how do we respond to injustice? How do we respond to abuse, oppression, and any of, of its forms in all areas of life? And I want to highlight this, a genuine spiritual encounter with the God of the Bible will lead us to the question, how do I respond to injustice, to abuse and oppression and all its forms in all areas of life? And that's what Isaiah 58 is all about. Isaiah 58, and actually the book of Isaiah and, and many of its, of its passages, is a, it's, it's a classic go-to text to show us the organic connection, the, the, the connection between spirituality, genuine spirituality and biblical justice. Okay? And any disconnect of, of, of that is spiritual self-deception. What do I mean? So we're going to look at three things. I'm learning from Presbyterians to organize my sermons. <laughs> so we're going to look at three things. First of all, the, the, the organic, uh, how they're organically related, uh, genuine spirituality and, and biblical justice. Uh, second, that it's supernatural in, in nature. You can't make this up. You can't even try. You can't even try. You can't make it up. It's supernatural in nature, the connection. And how do we cultivate it? How do we cultivate it uh, in, our, in our lives, in our community? So first of all, uh, genuine spirituality and biblical justice are like twin brothers or sisters. They, they, they're, they're inseparable. I don't know if you notice what's happening here. Um, in the text that we read, from the pers perspective, from the perception and perspective of the people of God, the, the people of God, they were like, their spiritual temperature was really high. It says here that they were eager. They were eager to come into the presence of God. And it was a constant seeking. It wasn't just a Sunday thing. It was constant. It's day after day, it says here. They were approaching God in prayer. They were approaching God in worship. And they were like fasting. So it's like Pentecostal stuff. They want intimacy. They want the nearness of God. And all of that, you might think, you know, because all of that, I mean, that desire, I mean, God should be pleased with that approach, shouldn't he? He calls it, basically, God says, I hate that stuff. Whoa, what are you talking about? Yeah, I hate it. It's sin, it's rebellion. Wait a minute, second. Could you, could you clarify this? I mean, I'm like pouring out my heart to you, God, and you're telling me like I'm praying and I'm seeking you and I'm eagerly looking and I'm fasting and, and you're telling me that I, it's, what I'm doing is actually an act of rebellion? I don't get that stuff. And he's saying, yes, why? Because your fasting is not the fasting that I'm looking for. It's divorce from profound compassion that leads to radical justice. It's, it's divorce from the, from, from the marginalized that are surrounding you. From, from, from my people that are hurting and crying out 
from the fatherless, the homeless. It's like the, 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 the three words, you know, the fatherless, the widow, and the immigrant. You pack them up. It's the marginalized, the, the people who are spit out by the system that are left out. They're being abused. They don't, their opportunities are meager and, and hardly any. And, and you're it. And, and you're, you're coming near to me, but you're not coming near to them. You want proximity with me, but you're not in proximity, in proximity with, with the people that are closest to my heart. Now, this is uh, throughout the book of Isaiah. One of the most convicting passages that I want to read to you like if I was the prophet Isaiah, okay? I'll try my best. It's Isaiah chapter 1, verses 12 through 18. Actually, the whole chapter, but I want to just... Pause for a moment and, um, and read this. And, and, and I, I wish I could get feedback. And, and, and like, how do you feel reading? What do you sense reading this, this passage of Scripture? Can I, can I get some water, please? Thank you. It's up here. It's not. Oh, I see it. Okay, thank you. Here we go. Are you guys ready? It says, when you come to appear before me, who has asked this of you, this trampling of my courts? Stop bringing meaningless offerings. Your incense is detestable to me. New moons, Sabbaths, convocations, I cannot bear your worthless assemblies. Your new moon feast and your appointed festivals, I hate with all my being. They have become a burden to me. I am weary of bearing them. When you spread out your hands in prayer, and I hide my eyes from you. Even if you offer many prayers, I am not listening. Your hands are full of blood. Wash and make yourselves clean. Take your evil deeds out of my sight. Stop doing wrong. Learn to do right. Seek justice. Defend the oppressed. Take up the cause of the fatherless. Plead the case of the widow. Come now, let us settle the matter, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they are red as crimson, they shall be like wool. Thank God for grace. Thank God it ends that way. So I'm a church planter, and I coach and train church planters all over New York City. And now in cities in North America. This is the stuff church planter. If you don't know what a church planter is, is somebody who's like crazy enough to start a new church. And crazy enough to do it in a city like New York. Like your pastor. <laughs> like me. I love church planting. I love this stuff. I love when the church is uncivilized and wild. And then it becomes organized and I'm, I'm done. I got to go to the next one. Church planters, if you interview church planters, they live and breathe for the day of that Sunday service opening. We call it the launch Sunday, where the worship is just hitting it. Where the preaching is like, bam, man, everybody like, just like, oh, contextual, gospel-based, filled. Where, 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 where the people, there was a big gathering of people, big assembly where the prayers were heartfelt, and we, I, I'm not on Facebook or Instagram and none of that stuff. I don't even know how to use it, but it's all over Facebook and Instagram. And I show up because I'm almost on all those launches. 
This is the stuff that we, we as, as leaders of the church, I'm, I'm making a confession here to the congregation, is that okay? We live for that stuff. We are looking for that stuff. We invest in that stuff. We equip for that stuff, for that opening Sunday. We even do rehearsal. We call it preview service to make sure it's on target. And the indictment of this passage is, could you believe it, that we can actually feel the presence of God down here. That we can be so engaged that we get goosebumps and tears in our eyes. And this is like your hands are lifted up in prayer, many prayers to the Lord, convocation of assembly, songs being sung by Levites that their whole mission in life was like, you're the C note, high C, that's your mission in life. And God, the response, like if, if you were to ask these people, this is like the worship in Israel at its best in Isaiah's time. And if you were to ask God, what does God think about what's going down there? It's like, really, I don't care how you feel. Let me tell you how I feel, says the Lord. I hate it. It's trampling on my courts. He goes as far as saying it's an abomination. Now, if you don't know what that word means, it just sounds bad, right? An abomination. It's like, hey. It's like, close the door. I don't, I don't want that stuff. It's, it's like, I hate your, I hate it. Uh, Amos, it's not, this is not like Isaiah's got it with the worship people. This is like, uh, uh, let me read you from, uh, uh, okay, I got it right here. Check out what, what the prophet, um, what the prophet Amos says in, in chapter 5. It's, it's, not, it's not up there. It says, your assemblies are a stench to me. Oh, my gosh. He says, away with the noise of your songs. I will not listen to the music of your harps. But then he goes, this is what I want, says the Lord. But let justice roll on like a river, righteousness like a never-ending stream. Defend the fatherless. Advocate for the widow. That's what I want you to See, okay, let me tell you a little, a little like really cool theological thing. Always in the Bible, always in the Bible, God says, I hate your worship because your justice is out of whack. Never in the Bible does it say, I hate your justice because your worship is out of whack. Are you following me? Like that caring for the poor with the, with the songs out of tune singing me? Like would, would like your prayers sound like you're like, you just woke up. There's no emotional intensity in your prayers. There's no insistence in prayer. And that's why I hate the way you serve the widow. Never. It's like, what? If you were to choose one or the other, God says, hey, give me like a two-string guitar and a lot of justice. Because that makes, see, that's nearness to God. It makes sense when it's nearness to the broken, to the marginalized, to the, to the one who was left out, to the one who stepped upon. That is true, genuine spirituality. Do we get the point? Because if not, I can keep going on this. I can prove it to you. I can prove it to you that it's all over the Bible. It's all over the Bible. So we're going to jump the Deuteronomy part. I just put those just in case the congregation still doesn't get it. Okay. So, um, so second plus... I, I got to really uh, 
I got to, so, so I, I just want to say this. Um, thank God for my dad who never was a Christian. But my dad was a really, um, he was an agnostic. And he was God's voice to me to help me see this. Because he noticed that when I embraced the Christian faith, I disconnected from my community. And he, and, he, and he believed that religion was the opium of the people. My father was a socialist. And I was, I was, I was raised in that. And he was right. He was right. What he was seeing, that the closer I got to God, the more disconnected I got from the community, the stuff that I used to be involved before in. And he's saying, well, I don't want that stuff. I don't believe in that God. And I was always arguing, making like apologetical like discussions about God and all that kind of stuff. He was right. And if you're like a seeker and you're upset with the church in America because of the stuff that you're upset of, you're right. Please call us out. Please continue to be Isaiah and Amos to us. Never let us off the hook. Because you have a sense, if this is you, or if this is your uncle, your aunt, or your cousin, they have a sense that something has to be connected. The spirituality has to be connected with social justice. Now, the, on the flip side of it, if you don't believe in the God of the Bible, then I don't know why you're so upset about just injustices. Because the only faith that gives a coherent understanding of why I should be upset about the gospel is the fact that there is a creator God who made the heavens and the earth and he made it beautiful and perfect and it's out of whack. If I don't believe in that God, if I don't believe in a creator God who's personal, who, who created a world of perfection and justice, then where do I get the idea why am I so upset? The, 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 the big one is supposed to swallow the little one. That's the way life is. What's, what's up with it? See, think a, bit, think a little bit about how, why you're upset. And it will point you to a God that has sowed that seed in your heart. And he wants to embrace you. He wants to tell you, yes, that you should draw you to me. Follow that thread and it should draw you to me. I just want to say that. For those of you who are exploring faith and maybe like a little bit upset about it. But for us Christians, please let us evaluate our spiritual temperature by, by and ask the question, how, how is my nearness with God by asking the question, how is my nearness to the broken? How in proximity with the broken, with the needy, I'm talking about proximity. I'm not talking about helping because you can help from a long distance. I'm talking about proximity. So. The second thing that we want to look at here is how are they connected? Now, I'm going to now suddenly like change gears on you, right? That's why I don't, I don't like to give outlines. I just change it without people like, I just keep talking. But I want to be structured here and keep my time. So how are they connected? Um, and this is what I call the supernatural outworking of this relationship. And I am going to use a seldomly looked at scripture that makes the deepest connection of, uh, in between spirituality and justice. Okay? So read with me Colossians chapter 3, verses 12 through 14. Again, it's not usually, I've never heard it preach on justice, but it is. And it's a passage in which Paul is talking to the, to the church and saying, you are a new thing. You, you are new. 
live into your newness. And he and uses the image of clothing. He says, you know, you're, you're a new, you've been clothed with Christ. Now use the wardrobe. Right? Basically, that's what this passage is saying. I want you to live into this life that now God has called you into, that you your new identity. It's, uh, for those of you who know better, there's a, there's a passage in Galatians chapter 5. It's called it the fruit of the spirit. This is the supernatural life that happens when you have an experience with Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit takes control of your life and you're like, this is what comes out of that, the beautiful life. And I want you to look at how it's described in Colossians chapter, um, Colossians chapter 3. I got it right here. Okay, sorry guys, I lost the text here. Here we go, here we go. It says, verse 12, therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves, ready? Clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another. And if any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. And of all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. What Paul is speaking about here is this is Christian spirituality. It's the supernatural life that happens when the Holy Spirit of God takes control of your life. And you learn to live in the Spirit and walk in the Spirit. When Jesus becomes, every time Jesus becomes more and more real, this is the beautiful life that happens. Now, what I want you to be thinking about is this. Before I show you how this is connected to justice. And this is how the spirituality connected to justice. I want you to look at the fruit of the spirit is really one. It's love. Galatians chapter 5, the fruit of the spirit is love. And here he finishes the whole list by saying, and, and you know, put the bow around them. All of them together. Like the thing that ties it all together is love. The perfect bond. And, and love is like the fruit of the spirit. Think about it as one fruit from different angles, manifested in all, these, in all these aspects. It's like, look at a diamond. And depending on how the light hits the diamond, it will, like, reflect in a certain way, right? So it's, it's, a, whole, it's a whole package. It's a whole package. It's something that we're supposed to see. Actually, that's how you test if the, if the particular quality that it's up here is genuine, is legitimate. Because you could be, for example, you could be kind because you're a two in the Enneagram. Like, I'm not a naturally kind dude. I'm an eight. For those of you who are into the Enneagram, if you don't know, just like, okay, you're an eight, whatever. <laughs> but some people are really kind out of, out of desperation for being, like, accepted and wanted. And that's a counterfeit kindness. Unless the kindness is wrapped up with the whole rest here, as we're going to look at, it's, it's not legitimate. Or you could be kind by socially conditioning. Like, like if you're from the South, you're a kind person. <laughs> That's socially conditioned kind. And it, it, like if I find somebody in the A train at 8 o'clock in the morning saying hi to everybody, I know they're from Alabama somewhere. <laughs> I just know. And they probably won't get in the train. They're too kind. Everybody just goes in and they're like kind. Oh, yeah, you first, you first. I mean, that's like, okay, you're kind. I get it. That's not the kindness that it's talking about here. So, so you get it? It's, it's something that it's, we're not talking about the, the way you look at it, it's a whole package. And the other thing I want you to look at it here, it's, it's like, this is 
the fruit of the Spirit. I used to think of the fruit of the Spirit as, like, did this guy just change gear on me? He was talking about justice, he's talking about the fruit of the Spirit. We're talking about spirituality. We're talking about what is counterfeit spirituality, what is real spirituality. So I haven't changed, I'm still on subject. <laughs> so it says, spirit for, spirit for, I used to think of the fruit of the Spirit like there are soft fruits and there's like tough fruits. Like kindness. Sounds so beautiful. Joy, peace. But then like patience, patient endurance. Yeah, I like that one because I lift weights. Patient endurance. Like, yeah. Self-control. Those are the tough. How, none of them are soft. All of them take the supernatural work of the Holy Spirit in our hearts, changing us, changing our hearts, changing our motivations, changing our perspective of life for them to shine. So what I want to do right now is define this package from the lens, putting the light on one of those aspects of love, one of those aspects of the spirit. I want to show you how they're interconnected, and I want to show you how they lead to justice, radical justice and compassion. And the fruit I, want, the, the fruit I chose intentionally, I've been like really reflecting on this stuff of the fruit of the spirit recently. The fruit I chose is the one I stink more in, which is like kindness. I just told you because I'm an eight in the Enneagram. It's, it doesn't come natural to me, right? Like I'm not the kind of person that, oh, he's so kind. No, he's so driven. That's what people say. Um, and also it's the, it's the fruit of spirit that's not in New York, so we need to cultivate in New York. So when I, when, I look at the, when I look at kindness from the perspective of the whole package, I came up with a definition. You ready for the definition? This is the definition, and you're going to see it um, up here. The definition goes like this. It says, uh, okay, I jumped the page. Where am I? Yes. Yes. Here it goes. Kindness is the concrete response provoked by inner disturbance from relational proximity to the other who is different. You read it? Is there? So it's the, it's the response that comes from, from an inner disturbance, and that inner disturbance is triggered by proximity. And that inner disturbance by proximity triggers a particular response action, and that action is called kindness, especially when you're in relational proximity with the other who is different. Where do I get that from? Well, right before the passage that we read, of the fruit of the Spirit, let me show you the context in which this is spilled out. In verse 10 and 11 of Colossians chapter 3, this is what it says. This is the context in which compassion and kindness and humility and gentleness and patience and forgiveness and all this stuff happens. This is what it says. You have put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge and the image of his creator. Here there is no... Gentile or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all in all. What it assumes is you're in a community of radical diversity with people who are your natural enemies that are not your brothers and sisters. That's what the power of the Spirit does. It creates a community of oneness among natural enemies. People you wouldn't like want to be seen hanging out with ever in your life. People who you grew up of, 
like avoiding and people who you grew up having biases and prejudice against them. Jews and Gentiles, ethnically different, like uh, with each other. And in our terms, it's African Americans with Hispanics, it's Puerto Ricans with Dominicans, it's, it's white people with, with Southern people with New Yorkers. It's, it's like all this kind of stuff. This is the kind of stuff that makes us. You're talking about religious background differences, uncircumcised, the guys who never, never, never knew the Bible. Circumcised, they know the Bible upside down. Religiously oriented people and irreligiously oriented people. Together. You're talking about barbarians and Scythians. Who are those dudes? Just to give you an idea, I was wondering, why did Paul say barbarians and Scythians and not Romans and barbarians? Well, because it was, there was the Romans and they hated the barbarians. Also, the Jews hated the barbarians because they were like this outskirt people. They were like out there. They were troublemakers. They're like, they got their own, they're rebellious people. They don't want to live according to the system. But the barbarians had a beef with the Scythians because the Scythians were like the uneducated barbarians. Because, the, you know, there's always somebody in the bottom of the totem pole. And the Scythians were like the uneducated people because barbarians were educated. So you got the educated and the uneducated. You got the free and the slave. For God's sake, in the church, a slave could be an elder of the church where his master was a member. Figure that one out. It messed up the system. It messed up the system. So you got socioeconomic diversity. You got racial diversity. You got educational diversity. You got cultural diversity. And in that context is where the fruit of the spirit is cultivated. In that context of proximity with the other who is different, who I am not wired to do life with, is where God says, because you are a new creature, now you are free to go into proximity. And how do I get the proximity from? From the word compassion. The word compassion means, the, basically it's a word that means the inner moving of the bowels. Because you come so close to the need of the other that you're disturbed by it. It's what Jesus did in his ministry life. This is, this is, Jesus walked the street, saw, felt compassion, and his whole ministry was always contextual because he was in proximity and it pained him to see the suffering around him. And he responded to the other who was very different from him. And then what happens, then when you're in that proximity, you have two options. Do like Yogi Bear, like, let's, let's, let's run to the left, man. I mean, uh, this is old school stuff. Yogi Bear. Okay. <laughs> or you respond with kindness. You respond with kindness. You respond with concrete acts that serve the other. Now, in that mix, you're going to need humility because when you're responding with kindness, you're going to be feel, feeling good about yourself. Like, man, am I a cool guy? It says humility, buddy. Humility because you're the object of God's kindness. Like, you're messed up. You're a sinner saved by grace. Remember that. Don't never get full of yourself when you're helping other people. And then he says gentleness, which means the appropriate response is not just like the response that's birthed out of my goodness. It's in dialogue with the other to know what actually they need and how to engage it and when. That's what gentleness means, being really wise about how you engage. And then it says patient 
forbearing, which means it's not going to be easy. This stuff is not comfortable. Getting involved with the other who is different from me is not comfortable. And you're going to need, for the word is hupomeno, which is, is like the, the image is like holding a weight that's like crushing on you. Have you ever been to the gym and you see those guys like, they speak in tongues. Well, they're holding the weight, right? That's forbearance. That's patience. That's the kind of strength, supernatural strength you're going to have to have to be in such proximity with people that you were conditioned to be biased again and, and keep at a distance. And then you're going to offend each other in the process. That's why we got to forgive each other. Just as Christ forgave us. Are you getting the picture? So, the response of proximity with the other in need who is different from me will stir my inner guts, leading me to a response that says, I got to do something about it. I got to do something about it. And the response is compassionate acts and committed to justice because they are in proximity. And it's, it's enduring proximity. Let's look at this video that World Relief did that connects justice with proximity. Let's, let's look at the video. A lot of people see justice as the most futile thing you can do with your life. Give your life completely to business and you see the money piling up. Be a health nut, eat right, go to the gym, and your muscles will grow and your body will look good and you'll see results. But when it comes to justice, it seems like you just can't get ahead. You patch up one hole and something else rips open. You bring peace to one region and war breaks out in another. You rebuild after an earthquake and a tsunami hits. And you work and you work and you work and there's never any profit. There's no bank where you can store a surplus amount of justice in. Stability is never permanent. Something always tips and people always ask, is it even worth it? And that question Though understandable, it's, I mean, quite frankly, it's ridiculous. And it rarely comes from those who are actually tired from pursuing justice and not just tired of the idea. It rarely comes from people who've labored for years and have good reason to ask it. And you know what they never ask? Those type of people become friends with those who suffer. Family even. Because it's one thing to wonder if someone else's freedom is worth fighting for. But when you begin to identify with that someone else, commune with them, that's when the question is no longer worth asking. That's when it becomes offensive even. What do you mean, is it worth my time? That doesn't even deserve an answer. I don't care how long it takes. I don't care how many times you fail. I don't care how little progress is made. You never stop fighting for your own. You never stop fighting for your own. Is the marginalized your own? Are the people in the margins, the immigrants, the widow, the orphans of today, are they your own? See, when you get tired and you say, I, I wonder if this is worth it, it's because they haven't become your own yet. They haven't. Somebody asked me once, when is enough enough? I'm tired of just helping people. And I said, thank God Jesus never asked that question. 
Man, it's never. This is why it's not just doing justice, it's doing life. This is about the Christian life, my friends. So we have to learn how to, as we, as the Holy Spirit takes control of our lives, we will live into this beautiful life, complicated life, of proximity with the other that will lead to acts of radical compassion and deep commitment to justice. Now, how do we do it? And, and, and first of all, first of all, again, this is impossible. Unless God takes control. I mean, it's possible to do justice from a distance. Or it's possible to do justice out of anger and a sense of indignation. That is controlled by anger. That's possible. We're talking about another kind of justice that is, comes out of humility, out of gentleness, out of a forgiving spirit. How do we do that? How do I, for, how do I forgive the people that are have offended me, you know, socially speaking all the time. How do I do that? Well, the first is you have to see yourself in light of how God has shown you kindness. Talking about somebody that God says, like, in your natural self, God says, like, Ugh, that's you, buddy. And God says, you want to know what proximity is? I'm coming down for you. You are my natural enemy. And I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna go the distance and come into your life to bridge the gap. It's God chasing after us. It's God humbling Himself, the one from on high that we sing about, the King of Kings that created the heavens and the earth, coming into the hood, coming into our lives, and seeking that, seeking us out. There's a passage in Romans uh, chapter two. And it talks about this. It talks about the invitation that, that the Lord Jesus gives us all the time. And it says, do, do you ignore? Do you, do you ignore? Do you, do you not show, it's here. No, do not show contempt for the, for the riches of, of his kindness, his forbearance and patience. Not realizing that God's kindness is intended to lead you to repentance. That's our lives. It's God's kindness towards us. It's God's compassion towards us. And, and, and the, the, the greatest of all the proximities and the deepest pain that he went through on the cross. Jesus Christ, the son of God, the perfect one that could reject us right off the bat. Instead of rejecting us, moves towards us. Moves towards us to, with such radical connection that he suffers our pain. He takes our injustice. And he gives us his justice. And on the cross he pays the penalty for us. To make a way for proximity for us to come to God. The just for the unjust. So we might be declared sons and daughters of God. That is like, oh my gosh. See, that has to become, you have to experience this. That level of compassion and justice of God in your life through Jesus who lived a life. You should have lived but you never lived. And he died the death that you deserve on your behalf. And he suffered and he rose again and he conquered and he sends his spirit and he gives you a spirit to make him real in your life. We need that. That is the first step if you haven't made that decision. And hopefully today will be the day that you say, I'm going to give this Jesus a chance. And for those of us who are in Jesus, we still could be spiritually deceived. 
This happens with one another. See, this is, we walk with Christ towards the other, and then we walk with the other towards Christ. So you spend a week with Jesus, and he's going to take you to places that you feel uncomfortable. You, discipleship means not learning Bible verses. It means walk with Jesus. And you walk with Jesus, and you're going to hang out with prostitutes. We're going to have with lepers. You're going to hang out with the, with the little kids that are mocoso viejo. You're going to hang out with the women that, 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 that in that society were rejected. You're going to hang out with the tax collectors and the sinners. You're going to be surrounded with the people that you naturally are inclined to like, ugh. And, and even among them, even the sick, like, oh, leper. There's always, that, that's the place where Jesus takes us to the place of discomfort with the other who is different. And there's no way to learn Jesus without doing life with the other who is different. And when we do life with the other, so this is what happens. When you walk with Jesus towards the other, now you walk with the others who are different from you and you're learning compassion and justice and, and all that. You're walking with them towards Jesus. And this is what it says in the passage, and I end with this reading. Verse 15 of Colossians chapter 3, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts since as members of one body, remember how this body is, Greek and Jews and Scythians and barbarians and all this kind of stuff. Members of one body, you were called to peace and be thankful. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms and hymns and Songs from the Spirit singing to God with gratitudes in your heart. And whatever you do, whatever, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. You know what it's saying here? Explore Jesus in the company of others who are different from you. Read the word of God. Read the word of Jesus. Explore the God. Make it real as you interact. This is a communal thing with people who are not like me. That's how we grow in Christ. This is singing each other's songs and hymns and spiritual songs with people who are not like me. Tremendous job for the worship team. How do you make that happen? As we were singing some beautiful songs, by the way, thank you. In my head, I'm like dancing them because I'm a, I'm a salsa singer. So, uh, salsa dancer, not singer. I sing, you, you run out. But, but I, I am like putting Latin rhythms in my head and, 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 and expressing it in my culture with you, my white brothers and sisters who are different from me. With you who are Asian who are different from me. We're all together in this. We're all together in this. And this is how we learn. And this is how we learn how to be thankful my gosh, thankfulness that liberates us to be so generous. That's how we develop the spirituality that will unleash the most radical compassion and justice in our lives. It doesn't happen by joining programs. It doesn't happen by volunteering once in a while. Those are really good stuff. But until we get into doing life with one another who are different from me and will place me in the place of discomfort... That will trigger the spirituality that will lead to radical justice and radical compassion. I want to end with this prayer. It's a prayer that I wrote several years ago. It's a prayer that prepares us for the, for, um, for the, for the uh, communion, okay? Um, it's, it's kind of a confession. And it's, I, it's not original. It's, I took it from Job. I copied it from, from Job in the Bible. And I want us to, um, yeah, you do responsive prayer. So uh, will you 
pray this prayer with me, and this is how I want to end. And then invite you to come to the Lord's table as one. In this nearness to God that says, yes, Lord, you free me to be near to the other who is different. Let us pray. Father, as Job once prayed, so do I pray today. If I have denied justice to any of my friends, men or women, if I have denied the desires of the poor or let the eyes of the widow grow weary, if I have kept my bread to myself, not sharing it with the fatherless, if I have seen anyone perishing for lack of clothing or the needy without garments, and their hearts did not bless me for warming them with the clothing for my wardrobe, if I have raised my hands against the fathers, knowing that I had influence in this world, then let my arm fall from my shoulder, let it be broken off the joint. But Father, as I pray this prayer, help me see Jesus, whose arms were extended, whose hands were pierced, whose shoulders were dislocated and broken from their joints, and this for me, to pay the penalty that I deserve for my selfish lifestyle and my idolatrous accumulation of the things you have given me to share with the orphan, the widow, the poor of my day. Let us prepare our hearts to come to the table.